And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wonderful day in Christian history and a wonderful miracle here. This is the promise of the Father that's fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was poured out with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And this was an accompanying miracle and a sign and a glorious day. This is what we celebrated or what we uh, explained last Sunday, the birthday of the church, that they began to speak with tongues as the Spirit was poured out and they were filled with the Spirit and the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to do a little review of that, but notice in verse 5, they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And they were all in town, of course, for the Feast of Pentecost, many of them staying over from Passover and, uh, and the Feast of First Fruits, and now Pentecost. And when this was noised abroad in verse 6, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were just amazed because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So imagine they're in Jerusalem. They hear what's going on in uh, this house that the uh, disciples were in, the 12 as well as uh, 120 in total disciples were in the upper room. And so they hear about the news and they rush over to this house because they hear that the Holy Spirit is doing something and that there's a miracle that is happening, and they come and they hear this. Now, these are Jews from all over the world. This is Jews of the, the diaspora is what we call it. The Jews were dispersed all over the world as a result of judgment from the Old Testament. Now, these Jews who are still believing, uh, they come back to Jerusalem for the, this feast, and they're witnessing this promise of the Father, this miracle of the Holy Spirit being poured out with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, Jesus had told them in John 14, if you hold your place there, John 14, verse 17, it's just before the book of Acts. You have the Gospel of John. Jesus had told them that so far the Holy Spirit has been with you. And John 14, verse 7, but Jesus had told them that the Holy Spirit will be in you. So up until that point, the Holy Spirit had been with the disciples, but on the day of, the, of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was in the disciples. So John 14, verse 17, if ye shall ask uh, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, you see? Before Pentecost, Jesus said, He dwelleth with you and shall be in you on the day of Pentecost. So what does he say on the day of Pentecost? He says that the, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And Luke, recording the book of Acts, he said that the Holy Spirit filled, filled the disciples. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon believers but he did not permanently indwell believers. These are all key words. I'm trying to make sure I pronounce them right and get it right. So in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit would come upon a believer for a particular purpose, for a ministry, for something God wanted them to do, but would not permanently indwell believers. During the gospel stage, the Holy Spirit was with the believers, but on the day of Pentecost and throughout the church age, the Holy Spirit is 
in believers to fill believers, to empower them for service, and permanently indwells believers. Permanently indwells believers. There's another verse there in uh, John 14. I'll just read it to you. But he says, uh, he says, uh, let's see, let me read down, let me find it. When Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be with you, well, I didn't mark it, so I wasn't prepared to say it. But he says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be in you and he will remain in you. Uh, does anybody know the verse that I'm looking for? Now that I'm looking for it, I think we ought to, we ought to find it. It's in John 14. Uh, well, John 14, verse 26 says here, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And um, that's not exactly the verse I'm looking for. Just give me a moment. Yeah, verse 17. Oh. Well, I'm not finding it. Okay, yes, there it is. Verse 16 is right before it. If I would have just backed up to the paragraph and read the whole thing, we would have had it. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you how long? Forever. Forever. So he permanently indwells the believer. Therefore, if you hit your thumb with a hammer and say a cuss word, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave you. He's not going to depart from you. Is that clear? He'll dwell with you forever. He permanently indwells the believer in the New Testament. That's not the case in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, David prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You cannot pray that prayer. That prayer does not belong to you in the church age. Do not pray, Lord, take thy Holy Spirit from me. If you pray that, the Lord is going to tell you, you need to go back to Sunday school. Amen? And learn the Bible. Because he permanently indwells you, takes up residence within you, and will not leave you. Now, you're indwelt if you're saved. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit too, okay? And when I first got saved and the Holy Spirit took up residence in me, I didn't know it. I didn't know it at the time. But I'll tell you what, I knew something happened and something changed because I was filled with the Spirit at that moment and I was all excited and I had boldness. And I went out and I told everybody that I knew. I mean, told everybody. I've, I've told you my story before. But I did, and just riding down the road in my pickup truck, I didn't know any better. Still had long hair, okay? Still smoking cigarettes, although it wouldn't be long for that stuff to go away, but still smoking cigarettes, still listening to Pearl Jam and uh, Aerosmith, and I had a lot, big collection of music, still listening to that stuff. But over time, the Lord was, trying to, was starting to say to me, like I felt like he was in the truck with me. I thought, I'm not even telling you like a, I'm not preaching, okay? I'm telling you the truth. I really thought he was in the truck with me. Call me crazy if you want. I was excited about being saved. 
I didn't know he was in me, but he just felt so near to me, but I didn't know about the indwelling. But I thought he's right there, just talking to him, going down the road, killing time between Columbus and Cambridge, listening to music and so on, okay? But uh, when, I, when I got to Cambridge, my hometown, I was witnessing to my buddies that I was in a band with and telling them about the Lord. Where did that boldness come from? Where did that excitement come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Now, over time, the Lord would say, ah, I think we need to talk about that, uh, th- that smoking. Seems like every time you smoke them cigarettes, you want something else in your other hand. You understand what I'm talking about? The Lord said, I think we need to talk about that music. Some of those words in there, they're, they're, not, they're not right. They're sinful. That's the stuff that uh, you were convicted about when you got saved. Isn't yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but if you were to tell me, like, just a week after I got saved, tell me, well, you're not saved because this and this in your life. I, had, I was clueless, man, but I was saved. But you see, like, it didn't take long, and then eventually he, he said something, you know, that long hair. Yeah, but you know what? Nobody ever came up to me and said, you need to stop wearing that long hair. You need to stop wearing them T-shirts and them raggedy jeans and stuff like that. Nobody ever said that. I just studied my Bible and read it. Yeah. 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 And just if a church is faithful to actually be teaching and preaching the Bible, eventually they're going to hit on those things. But you just bring people in and let the Holy Spirit work on them. Give God time to work on them. Because if you were to say something to me all of a sudden and say, I don't know, I something in particular, let's just say if you were to tell me when I was first saved, you shouldn't listen to anything but hymns, boy, I'd be like, I'm not coming to this church. I was just a babe in Christ. Babes are easily offended, right? Man, I'm reminded of that recently. And uh, it's, it doesn't mean that we ought to look down on, but we're easily offended. Here's the deal, though. The Lord says, uh, I got one here. He's filled with the Spirit. He's witnessing for me boldly. You don't have to tell a brand new Christian how to witness. They just do. They know what happened to them. Amen? So I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit. But does that mean that I'm always filled with the Holy Spirit or that you're always filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that? No, because if that were the case, we wouldn't be commanded to be filled. Now, I know you might know this verse, but let's just look at it anyways. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, verse 18. So if we were always filled, we're indwelt always, but we're not always filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we were, if that were the case, we would not be commanded to be filled in verse 18 of Ephesians 5. Read that verse. Ephesians 5, so you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I was in a church one time, you know, I, I set out for the Lord to serve the Lord, but I sure struggled, uh, and the, the problem was is that I wasn't in a church being discipled, and uh, my brother was working with me, but like I said, he lived in Columbus, I lived in Cambridge, um, but I wasn't in a church, so I struggled a lot, and I didn't understand all those things, but I remember when I finally did get into church, I remember hearing a man, an older man, argue with the preacher And he was arguing with the preacher from the pew, arguing with the preacher's lesson, saying, 
You don't need to be filled. You don't need to be telling people that we need to be filled with the Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Well, that man didn't know his Bible. He didn't know enough to be correct in that preacher because that preacher was right. He was teaching that we need to be filled and pray that we would be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Why does he mention that? Does he mention that because that's the greatest sin ever? No, he's, he's saying that being filled with the Spirit is like being under the influence of alcohol. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, you're commanded to be filled. And you're to be under the influence. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're under the influence of the Spirit. Now, you, have you ever seen somebody who's drunk? Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're like me and you know what it's like. I know a man who never once touched the stuff. And I always wonder, what would it be like to be that person who never touched it? I, uh, I was turned loose at the age of 11. And at the age of 11, I was just running the neighborhood. And that's when I first got into it, got into that stuff. So, um, But I, I, I remember hearing this man talking about how his mom had showed him a person that was staggering around drunk. And he had come to their house for some event. And this, this, this mother said to her child, she said, son, you see that man? Do you see he's making a fool out of himself? And uh, he said, yeah. And she said, son, don't ever drink alcohol. And you know what he did? He promised his mom I'll never drink alcohol. And he never did. Incredible. But anyways, a person who's under the influence, they're controlled by it. It affects their, the way that they walk. It affects the way that they talk. And it gives them a whole lot of courage, don't it? Uh, yeah, so... He's saying be under the influence of the Spirit. Be filled with. What does it mean to be filled? Just real quick, let's just talk about that for a second. What do you, what do you say? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Does it mean that we're going to flop around on the ground? Again, I, I was kind of, I know I was kind of uh, a little bit edgy last Sunday. I'm trying to be less edgy this Sunday morning. Does it mean to, to blabber and gibberish? No. Okay, does it mean to shake? I've, seriously, I've been to churches where they're like, I got the shakes, I got the shakes, I got the shakes. Guess what? When they go into the bathroom, they don't have the shakes anymore. I know that's kind of crude, but seriously. Okay, I got the holy shakes. Does it mean that I'm going to be picked up and levitated and thrown against a wall? I've heard of that happening, like literally happening. Does it mean that somebody is going to put their hand on my forehead and I'm going to fall back and pass out? No, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> Does it mean I'm going to feel like hot, like warm honey is being poured on me? No. So what do you, what do you say? What, do you, what does being filled with the Spirit mean? Yes. Let's talk about the real blessing of it, the real thing. Being filled with joy and having peace over your spirit. That is so true. That's true. There's a lot to it, so we could all kind of add to it. If you, There's no wrong answer necessarily, but being filled with the spirit definitely gives you that, that peace. It would be opposed to, say, you know, like walking in the flesh, um, but being filled with the spirit. You know, being filled with the spirit means to be under the control so, like, if, we're, if we have the Holy Spirit all the time within us, when we really heat, you know, Jesus said, I don't want you to be cold or lukewarm, I want you to be hot. When we really get on fire for the Lord and heat up for the Lord, 
It's like we are filled with the Spirit. It's imagine like a, if you put a pot of water on a stove and you start to boil that water and you have a lid on it, it fills that pot with the, you know, the evaporated water. The pot fills up with steam. Um, when, when you are on fire for the Lord, you fill up with the Spirit. What does it mean to be on fire for the Lord? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to happen in a spirit-filled meeting. It just means this, that you are just allowing your body to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. There was a guy um, who was used greatly by the Lord, and I know his name, but I'm not going to say his name, because it's like he gets more glamour than the Holy Spirit does because of the 1904-1905 Welsh Revival, okay? Um, the, if you wonder about Wales, like uh, President Donald Trump, his family is from Wales. So we have a connection in our country spiritually to that land. But the Welsh Revival, what happened there was a young man was used greatly by the Lord to just come into church meetings. And you know, he had a very simple message. He would speak to the people and he would say this, the Holy Spirit wants you to give him your body and give, you com- give him complete control over your life. He wants to use your mind, your hands, your feet. He wants you to be completely given over to him. And he wants you to, to be serious about being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He had a very simple message, but the, that young man was used greatly by the Lord to, to, to bring you know, revival to that, uh, that land. And that's really what it is. Being filled with the Spirit is just walking in complete obedience to the will of God. And so in order to do that, you've got to know the will of God. So it's not something spooky and eerie and weird, but it's just being under the control, the complete control and influence of the Holy Spirit. So back at Acts chapter 2, we had read last time that... Not only did the Holy Spirit come to indwell the believers, to fill the believers, thereby empowering them with service to be bold for Christ, but we also learned something else, okay? What else did we learn? We learned something that Peter didn't understand on the day of Pentecost, okay? We learned something that was given to Paul later on, okay? So Peter didn't understand it. None of the 120, even though they were filled with the Spirit, they did not yet know this. We learned that the Holy Spirit also came to form the body of Christ because I read to you something that was given to Paul later on. And again, Peter didn't know about it. I read to you from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes into you to take up residence at the moment of salvation, he baptizes you or places you into the body of Christ. So that's the third thing. He formed the body of Christ, the church, on the day of Pentecost. This is what Paul taught about in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so that's the review. I just want to make sure. I, I think last time I kind of muddied up the waters and I didn't explain it clearly, everything that's happening. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was only aware of a, just a small 
part of the picture. He didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. Okay? So when I started the book of Acts, I said this is a dispensational study of the book of Acts. And I said that the book of Acts is a transitional book. Do you remember the three transitional books that I mentioned? The book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Acts, and Hebrews. Three transitional books in the Bible. Matthew is transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's the transition. Acts is transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles. That's what's happening there. Jews to the Gentiles. From the Gospels to that, well, yes, yes, sort of. No, well, not technically. I mean, that's true too, but the, the emphasis that I want everybody to get is it's transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles. P- Peter is preaching to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost. We've got to get that. That is so foundational. If you don't get that, you won't understand the book of Acts. So Acts is transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles. Three times in the book of Acts, the Jews are told that God is turning from you and turning to the Gentiles. God is putting you on the shelf. He'll pick you up later on, but God is turning away from you because they rejected their Messiah. They rejected their king. Okay? So it's a transitional book from the Jews to the Gentiles and the book of Hebrews. Guess what it is? It's a transitional book going from the Gentiles back to the Jews. You see? Let me put it to you another way. This is, there's so much here, you just you cannot rush through it. Let me put it to you another way. Truth is progressive. Okay? Revelation is progressive. You say, how do you know that that's so? Are you just making this up? No. Just think with me for a second. When Peter uh, was talking to the Lord, the Lord said, who do men say that I am? And what did Peter say? He gave that great statement. You know, we'll just paraphrase it. You're the son of God. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, men did not give you that information. That information came from God, right? And then Jesus started saying, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to die but I'm going to be raised the third day. And when that happened, Peter said, he rebuked him, rebuked the Lord. He said, Lord, no way, that is not going to happen, not while I'm around. Somebody comes at you, I'll take their head off. Okay, I got my sword right here. I'll take their head off. And Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter, and he said, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan had filled Peter and said those words through his mouth. You see, Peter did not understand the cross. Truth is a progressive thing. It's a progressive revelation. God gives them little bits and a little more and a little more. So they were not looking forward to the cross. They, okay, they did not understand the atonement. I'm going to get to that in a minute here in Peter's sermon. They didn't understand what you understand, that Christ died for our sins as a substitutionary penal atonement. He was our substitute. He was penalized, he was punished for our sins, and as an atonement to satisfy God and to reconcile us to the Father, to make us at one. They didn't understand that, they didn't get it, and they didn't want him to go to a cross. They wanted him to set up a kingdom, okay? So they didn't have all the truth. They had a little bit, they knew he was the Son of God, 
And they knew he was the Messiah, okay? Then later on, Jesus said, I have many things to tell you. John 14, they get all sad. They realize he is going away. He's talking about going away from us. And Jesus said, I'm going away. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to send the comforter so you won't be alone. And uh, they didn't understand where he was going. And you know what Jesus said? I have many things to tell you, but you can't handle it. I'm just paraphrasing. You can't bear it right now. You see, truth is progressive. They don't get all the revelation at once. It don't happen all at once. And so uh, then they start to understand he's going. And, and even on the day that he's crucified, they somehow feel like, you know, the dream is gone. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to bring in the kingdom. They went away discouraged and uh, disheartened and disillusioned. You know, they didn't get it. And then when he rose from the grave, then they really got it. All of a sudden, they're filled with boldness, you know, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and now they're ready to preach the gospel. But do you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter still doesn't have all the truth. There's a lot of it that was given to Paul, like the body of Christ. The body of Christ was revealed to Paul, not to Peter. He did not understand on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out that now we all become the universal church, the body of Christ. Okay, so when I say the church, what do you think of? When I say the church, what do you think of? The church is the people, yes, yes. And we are united spiritually and incorporated with Christ, but when I say the church, am I simply referring to, like, I'm definitely not referring to the building, we know that. Am I just referring to Antiquity Baptist Church, or am I referring to the First Baptist Church, you know, or the Methodist Church, or the Catholic Church? What church am I referring to? Well, here's the thing. When I'm referring to the birthday of the church, there is the universal church. There is, that is, everybody who's saved that will be sitting in this, this congregation this morning is a part of this universal church. Now listen, people are celebrating Easter all over the world. So in, in England, they celebrated Easter like at about 6 o'clock this morning, okay? At 6 o'clock this morning, people were sitting in churches all over England. The ones who are truly saved are part of the church, which is his body, the body of Christ. The people that were in China, who probably, I don't know how many hours before that, somewhere, uh, I don't know how you even think about that, but you know what I mean, about what, about 12, 13, 14 hours behind us? But, yeah, so they celebrated Easter, you know, I think before us is how that'll work out. All the saved Christians there are in the body of Christ. If they're saved, it doesn't matter what the denomination is, they're in the body of Christ. In California, in about three hours, they'll start Sunday school, you know, and they'll start their church services. In California, all the people who are saved are in the body of Christ, which is the true church. Now, in the local church, which the Bible speaks about, the body of Christ, the universal church, it speaks about it only a few times, but it speaks mostly about the local church, which is a, a called out assembly, a gathering of people in the name of Christ. Within the local church this morning, you have people who are saved and people who are not saved. 
You see? In the body of Christ, the universal church, everybody is saved. In the local church, the called-out assembly, ecclesia means a called-out assembly, a gathering. In the local church, you have saved people and you have unsaved people. Does that make sense? Okay. That's my, that's my best shot at explaining that. Um, now, okay, let's go on. We can finally go on. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews. Okay, so notice who's present. When you're reading the Bible, who's speaking? To whom are they speaking? Okay, it's Peter who's getting ready to speak. It's Jews in Jerusalem, devout men. Okay, so they're still trying to follow the law and the feasts and all that stuff. Out of every nation under heaven, verse 6. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. Okay, they're surrounding the house wanting to see what's going on, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Okay, so you got people of all different tongues. He talks about all these different tongues in verse 9. He had Parthians there. He had Medes. You know, the Lord had Elamites there. And the dwellers in Mesopotamia. So you had people of different languages. And in Judea, you know, they would have had Hebrew and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes had all of these different people. And every man heard those disciples speaking in their own language. Can you just use your sanctified imagination for just a minute? That means that there's somebody, now there's 120 of them there that's talking in tongues. That means either one man is just talking in tongues, and this guy over here is hearing it in the Mesopotamian language, and this guy over here is hearing it in some Asian dialect, and this person over here is hearing it in Hebrew. Either it means that, or else all the 120 are just talking in different languages. One thing is for sure, the unknown tongues is or not unknown tongues, excuse me. The tongues are known languages. Okay, I got that out finally. The tongues are known <laughs> languages. Does that make sense? The word that's translated tongues there is the word that we get our uh, word dialect from. So it's known languages. It's not gibberish. And every man is hearing these wonderful works about Jesus in their own tongue. Just incredible Verse 7, and they were all amazed, and rightly so, and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Okay? Galilee. Where's Galilee at? Where's Galilee? Well, that's up around where Jesus' hometown was. In his incarnation, his hometown was in Nazareth. That's up around the Sea of Galilee. But if you have a, a map of the Holy Land during the Lord's ministry in the back of your Bible, you'll see the region of Galilee. And uh, it's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Up at the top, you have Capernaum on the, the coast of the sea there. You'll have Cana, Nazareth, Nain, the widow of Nain. <coughs> we remember reading about her. Nain is there. So all that, uh, it's a northern part of what we would think of as Israel. Way up there in the north. So they're all up there. You say, who were the Galileans? <clears throat> they were just considered to be country folk. 
and they had an accent. Does anybody have an accent in here? <laughs> you know, uh, we don't realize it, but you go down to Kentucky and you hear some of them people talk, and they got an accent. Man, you go into Tennessee and it's really thick. One time I was driving through Tennessee back when gas was a whole lot cheaper. And I stopped in at a gas station and the lady in there, she's like, all right, how can I help you out? And, you know, you all want some of this and that and, you know, talking like that. And I started talking to her and she said, you got a, you got an accent. And I said, I got an accent. <laughs> you got an accent. And um, she, she I, I never realized it, but she said, you have a different accent. And I said, I don't know. I'm from Appalachia and up around Ohio, you know, southeastern Ohio. And I guess we sound different. We just don't know it. But these Galileans, they had an accent and they sounded different. And they just, you could just listen to them talk and you knew where they were from. Makes you wonder what Jesus sounded like uh, when he talked. Because he's 100% human, you know. Okay, so they're all Galileans. They're all speaking with these languages, and they never had learned these before. All right, and how hear we every man in our own tongue or dialect, wherein we were born. And you know what it was? You know what the Lord was doing? The Lord was proving to the Jews. Remember, the audience is Jewish, 100%, or else Jewish proselytes. We'll talk about that. But it was proof to Christ, to that Christ is the Messiah. That's the purpose of the tongues, to prove that Christ is the Messiah to the Jews and to prove or validate or bear witness to the truth of the apostolic ministry. This is the beginning, and God gives them accompanying signs, miraculous gifts. And that's what he's doing here, proving it to those people. And if you notice at the end of verse 10, the strangers of Rome... The strangers of Rome, these people heard them speaking in foreign languages that they had never learned before, and they knew they were from Galilee, so they didn't have the education to know all these languages. Okay, They weren't from the college down in Alexandria, Egypt, but they're from Galilee. These strangers of Rome, who are they? Those are Romans who were Gentiles who became converts. They were Jewish proselytes converted to Judaism. So they were Gentiles. You, you ever wonder, like in the Old Testament, did God give anybody else the chance to get saved other than the Jews? Well, yeah. Gentiles could get saved in the Old Testament sense by converting and becoming a Jew. They had to be circumcised and abstain from pork and all that stuff, wear beards, you know, and they had to do all that stuff. But they could become Jews and start learning the writings of Moses and so on. The Jews and proselytes, you see, Strangers of Rome, and then he specifies Jews and proselytes. So that's who they are. So they were Gentiles, but they were Gentiles who became Jews. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Okay, so they didn't understand. Now there is a problem. The Holy Spirit reveals to Luke, that this was the crux of the problem at this moment. What does this all mean? Okay, so imagine the crowd surrounding the house. Many are just amazed. Uh, some were doubting. And then others were mocking. In verse 13, these men saying these men are full of new wine. They're saying they're drunk on 
grape juice. So let's take a practical look at this. Does this church need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. If a church is filled with the Holy Spirit, what will the outcome be in this community? Some will be amazed, and it will gather, it will draw people in, right? If, the, if there's a real work of God's Spirit, people will be gathered in, right? Okay? People will be saved. There will be amazement, okay? Um, what else happens? Well, some people doubt. Some people doubt. You know, you, you, people start talking about what the Holy Spirit has done for me and this and that. You'll have doubters. We heard all about doubters, uh, the skeptics and the atheists that the people at the Ark, you know, and Answers in Genesis Ministries, what they're trying to do to try to uh, defend the Christian faith and help kids. There are plenty of doubters to what's going on at a local church and the Holy Spirit moving. Uh, one of the, I guess, this is what I'm finding out, one of the biggest, uh, the biggest means, now let me rephrase this, let me back up. What is the devil using today to draw kids away from the Christian faith and to get kids out of church? Yes, yes, electronics, absolutely. Screens, music, and you know what I'm finding out from the ark though? I, I was walking around that ark, and Brother Adam noticed it too. There's like dinosaurs in these cages, or things that look like dinosaurs, and uh, creatures that were extinct. You know, a lot of a lot of animals are extinct. And I wondered why are they put? Why don't I see more horses or cows or, you know, something like that, pigs or chickens in here? Um, the reason why is they're they're trying to help kids because what the devil is using is dinosaurs. He's using that, and they say he's using that to get kids to buy into the lie of the theory of evolution to teach them billions of years. And I've, I've noticed it with uh, the kids that I've been around. I remember it growing up. I had a friend, and his brother was really into dinosaurs. So the NEA is using dinosaurs because it's so attractive to children. And the change agents that are present in our schools that buy into all that stuff to propagate this lie, and they're using dinosaurs, of all things. So what is our answer? I mean, did dinosaurs exist, you know, how, how long, 235 billion, I don't know, billion years ago? I don't, I forget the numbers. Man created, man evolved 65 billion years ago. I don't know what, it's ridiculous. Bazillion years ago. And that and the Bible just don't line up, right? And you'll have people who doubt, is this all true? You know, is the resurrection true? Uh, so you'll have doubters. And what I found, by the way, is I found some books that were really helpful about dinosaurs to explain it to kids biblically. Uh, the short answer is God created them, and uh, that's the short answer. So um, doubters saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking. You'll have those too. You'll have people just mocking. You're going to run into some of them today at the Easter family dinner if you get family together. And I'm probably going to run into some. And uh, they mock what we believe. And uh, I remember just one little example. 
I remember walking into a restaurant with a family member, and it was, I was trying to witness this family member, and we opened up the door to this hibachi restaurant, and we're going inside, and as soon as we opened up that door, I turned around like this, and the, sh- the sun was just shining on me and blinded me, and I said, I'm blinded, I can't see you guys, but I'll hold the door open. And he said, blinded by the light. Remember that song? Blinded. And he was joking, saying, yeah, you're blinded by the, this so-called light of Christianity. We're going to go in here and have fun and toss a few beers back, and you're blinded by the light, and you're not having any fun. That's what he was trying to say. Mockers. Mockers. And I said, yeah, let's see. Well, see, I don't want to say let's see how that works out for you in 15 or 20 years, but we're not supposed to have that attitude towards them. But mocking. Now, verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea. Now, who's he he talking to? The men of Judea. Who's talking? Peter. Peter is a Jew. Peter is still functioning like a Jew under the Old Testament. Peter is abstaining from pork. Okay, Peter is only fellowshipping with people that are circumcised. You men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, so Jew, 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 or else Jewish proselytes, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Therefore, before we get started with this sermon, you just need to know it. You gotta get it. You gotta get it. There's nothing but Jews here, not a Gentile in the lot. You say, why is that so important? Why do you keep repeating that? Because the signs are for the Jews. I'm going to hit that about 100 times through the study of the Acts. The signs are for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. Okay? You say, why do you keep saying that? Why doesn't God use tongues today? Why are the tongues not operational today? Why is it when we call a missionary to come and present their ministry to Brazil that the Holy Spirit does not give them the gift of tongues so that all of a sudden they can just speak to the Brazilian people in that language, whatever it is. Why is it that they can't just automatically speak in that language? Why does God make them go through three or four years of language training on the field to learn the language when he could just give them the gift of tongues? Why is that? The reason is the gift of tongues is a sign gift. Signs are for the Jews to validate the apostolic ministry at the beginning of the church. The, the next Pentecost that happened a year later, guess what? This didn't happen. This only occurred one time on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It never happened again. Okay, we'll talk about the three times that tongues are used in the book of Acts and why, but uh, that's, that's the foundation, that's the premise to what I'm going to say. Okay, so he says... Now he's starting to explain to these people who are in doubting, who are doubting, they don't understand what this means. He starts his sermon out that way. He grabs a hold of that and he says, okay, I'll take that and run with it. He says, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Listen up, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, Sunday, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass. Now, we'll pick up there next time, but here's uh, my concluding thoughts. Tongues did not always accompany salvation in the book of Acts. There's no mention of tongues when the 3,000 are saved at the conclusion of this sermon. 
There's no mention of tongues when the 5,000 are saved in chapter 4, verse 4. There's no mention of tongues when the Samaritans are saved in Acts chapter 8. Peter, is what he, what he is doing here is we're going to witness him using the keys to the kingdom. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom, and right now he's unlocking the gospel to the Jews. Later on, he's going to use the keys again to unlock the gospel to the Gentiles. But he's using the keys of the kingdom. He's doing it through preaching. And we'll stop there and just give us a few extra minutes this morning. All right.